At long last, welcome back to Dear Old State, a very much delayed return, but I am Matt Brown from The Athletic, joined by Audrey Snyder from The Athletic, and we are finally back by hopefully popular demand, Audrey. It seems like we've had some yeah. people asking us when the podcast was coming back, and I'm happy to say here we are when the season is starting in October and it's a weird year, but <laughs> we're excited hey, we're to here. do it again. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, very, very long off season. Felt that sometimes like it would never end. Then bizarre watching other teams play, seeing other fans uh, in stadiums. That, that's still a little jarring to me when you see that, but we're back. And Matt, Penn State football kicking off here. We're recording this Wednesday morning, full disclosure. So Penn State football heads to Indiana. They're going to fly out Friday as per usual, although that'll be like the only thing normal about their trip because of the COVID-19 protocols. James Franklin said they're getting the biggest hotel they can find to space out for meetings in the ballrooms. One guy to a room, no roommates. Um, and then we'll have to see what in the world the travel roster looks like. Um, I don't know, Matt, if it's anything like the week one depth chart, I think there might be some surprises. Well, we'll get there in a second. I think yep. first we should, uh, well, first of all, we're going to be here. We plan to be here every Monday on Dear Old State. This is a different circumstance this week. We're you know recording after the depth chart came out, after the Journey Brown news came out. Uh, but we'll plan to be here Mondays after the games and uh, previewing the next games as well. But Audrey also get everybody up to speed on what they can expect from a new podcast that you were involved in. Yes, I am part of the big football show, another podcast here on The Athletic. And as the name says, Matt, it's about the Big Ten and football. Uh, I am on there every Tuesday with our Ohio State beat writer, uh, Penn State alum, fellow Penn State alum, Bill Landis. And we're talking every Tuesday about the Big Ten East. So it's really been a fun project so far. Every Tuesday I'm on there with Bill, but we are producing a show five days a week. So on Monday, you'll get a recap of the games from the weekend with Nicole Auerbach and with Scott Docterman, our Iowa writer. And we will take you through day by day. Tuesdays are focused on the Big Ten East. We have a day dedicated to the Big Ten West. Plenty of Michigan, Michigan State talk in there with our beat writers as well. And then Friday will be all about predictions and picks with Wisconsin writer Jesse Temple and recruiting expert guru, Gambling expert, self-appointed Ari Wasserman. So lots of stuff going on at The Athletic. But yes, you can hear me on Dear Old State every Monday and every Tuesday on the big football podcast. It's, as always, Matt, found wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Personally, I'm an Apple podcast person, but it might not be for everyone. Well, let's look at now what was a eventful first week of games. It's been the the world's longest offseason. You know, it's been very strange watching... Mm -hmm. The ACC, the SEC, you know, six conferences playing while Penn State has not. It's been very weird, but we're happy that we have football to cover and talk about because it would have been a very long season otherwise, especially for you having to cover Penn State football. (laughs) Yeah, we were trying to figure out what does Audrey do uh, without football (laughs) in the fall. And it's got to be weird for you, Matt, because you moved to Tuscaloosa this offseason. I did. By the way, you know, last week's game of the week uh, is essentially kind of almost right in your new backyard now. It's right down the street, you know, a couple miles and yeah, 20, 20,000 people or so were there. I did not really venture out of my house. I've barely ventured out of my house since <laughs> moving down here with my fiance. Uh, we, we've gone out to dinner once. We've mostly avoided uh, doing things around people. So I hope everybody <laughs> else is being safe. Like we're trying to be safe. Uh, All the more reason so, to stay home and watch college football. There you go. Exactly. So this week was eventful, you know, unfortunately eventful, uh, you know, 
it's one of the rare times, I guess, where just seemingly very random message board rumors ended up being true. <laughs> yeah. Um, Journey Brown, star Penn State running back, who really broke out the end of last season, is out for the time being. We don't know how long, maybe the season, with uh, an undisclosed medical um, condition, medical issue. So, yeah. kind of not a surprise because of the kind of rumblings we heard, but still pretty. Shocking to see that Penn State will go into the season without Michael Parsons and Journey Brown, which if you would have said that during the Cotton Bowl would have sounded insane. Yeah, you get a season that starts in late October. That's nine games without Journey Brown, potentially all season and definitely without Michael Parsons. Um, yeah, the, the Journey Brown stuff, Matt, I, I want to say probably about the last at this point, two weeks the rumors started picking up um, Ohio state message board. Like, you like said. right after you talked to him one-on-one. <laughs> right. And that to me was so strange because and maybe this is a little bit of a, like a two, you know, inside baseball type deal, but like if a player is hurt, Penn state is not going to like make them readily available for a one-on-one interview. Like they're not going to do that. Uh, so, you know, I spoke with journey Brown one-on-one before virtual media days, he spoke at virtual media days. And what I found interesting Um, was that we hadn't heard from him from the Cotton Bowl up until I spoke to him and that had to probably be like early October, late September. So we hadn't heard from him all off season, but again, it's a weird off season. They've given us plenty of guys to talk to. So I'm thinking, all right, maybe he's, you know, busy, whatever, who knows? So I wonder when they found out about this medical condition. Um, Obviously they're not going to say what it is. Um, Don't expect that to change unless Journey and his family want to talk about it. But Journey Brown did release a video on Twitter Tuesday night where he thanked fans for their well wishes, said he's looking forward to watching the Lawn Boys, and looks forward to getting back out on the field. So that's going to be something that we're going to have to monitor all year. Um, But James Franklin did say that he expects that Brown will be at the games this year because he's that important, that much of a leader, uh, and really like a He's not only the leader in the running backs room, but he's also kind of some of the guys of cities like a big brother in that room because, I mean, it's still a young group. So it is the Noah Kane backfield now with Devin Ford spelling him presumably uh, quite a bit, I would imagine. And then the two freshmen, uh, Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes, both listed uh, as the third option, separated by an or, of course, on the depth chart. But both of those guys, James Franklin said this week, they want to put the freshmen in a game and they want to see what they look like, which, hey, everybody gets a free year, so don't have to worry about a red shirt. So, you know, it works out for you in a weird roundabout way, but super, super upsetting for Journey Brown. And Matt, I don't think you're going to find a player on this roster with a better temperament, a better demeanor than Journey Brown. Like you talk to him and you instantly are like, you know what, this guy's fun. Uh, he's exciting. He just loves life. So, you really feel for him on a, on a personal level, of course. Yeah. And he's a guy who the athletic has kind of been on the journey Brown bandwagon. That's my beat. Uh, Yeah. That's my beat. But Dane Brugler, our draft analyst came out with his position rankings, early position rankings, early top 50 in the preseason back in the summer. And he had journey Brown as his number one running back prospect for the 2021 draft. Now is journey Brown? Would he be a first round pick? Would he be the number one running back? We don't know. It's early, but that just speaks to, you know, there's, there's guys like Travis Etienne, Najee Harris that are back. And, and Dane is a very good respected yeah. draft analyst had journey Brown number one. And, you know, we saw why in the cotton bowl, um, you know, in, in a very crowded backfield last year, uh, he kind of stepped up and, and took advantage of an opportunity and emerged as the guy, but, for now, right now, it's time to remember how good Noah Kane is, which I think, I don't want to say got 
it's almost like Noah Kane to me in some respects has gotten a little bit underrated because everybody has been so excited about Journey Brown and justifiably so. Yeah. But if we do remember back to mid-season last year, Noah Kane looked like the best running back on the team. Uh, I, I, I recall kind of pounding the table we on talked that a about little it a bit. Lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think everybody thinks back to that Iowa game, right? And that was the breakout moment for Noah Kane. He looked like the guy who was going to be the pound the ball guy when it rains, pound the ball when it snows, looked very impressive. And then the injury happens at Michigan State, and that really derailed him the rest of the year. I mean, he's, of course, fine now. But down the stretch, he just it took longer for him to heal than he had anticipated. But I do think, Matt, if there is a position group well-equipped to handle such a loss, it, the running backs are about as good as you could hope for in terms It's crazy of, to yeah. say, given yeah. that Richard Slade <laughs> is also gone. Like, we wondered, oh, they're signing all these running backs, two per class, two per class. Well, good thing they did they now. did. Good job, yeah. Jaylon Snyder. Good job for the, the recruiting there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that to me is just like, it's such a talented group, but also a young group. However, I do think, Matt, this is where that last, that August to September, that instructional month that, you know, Penn State and the Big Ten was allowed to have because they weren't playing games and they weren't also allowed to have a typical practice schedule. But that instructional month has helped a lot of these younger players and Brent Price spoke about it a lot um, this offseason with regards to the defense. And he said, you know, these younger guys, they just need reps. They need more time. Well, in a way, nobody wanted the Big Ten got more time. So I do think, you know, Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes, these guys are in a better position certainly now than they would have been if the season would have started on time. So in a roundabout way, Penn State kind of benefits a little bit, but still um, it's going to be weird seeing them without Journey Brown for an indefinite amount of time. Yeah. If we talked last week and did this podcast and talked about what we were like most interested in seeing in the first game, I wouldn't have said, you know, the running back rotation, but now it goes back to that. It's like, well, they rotated a ton last year. How much will they rotate this year? You know, how much, what volume will Noah Kane get? You know, we know they like Devin Ford too, and justifiably so. We know that Holmes and Lee are both four-star recruits have a lot of potential. So it'll be very, very interesting to see how they rotate back. You know, we know Noah Kane can definitely play that closer role if they're trying to close out a game. Mm -hmm. It's something that for as good of running backs as they've had, he does bring something different to the table in that he's just a consistent guy, a chain mover. He doesn't get tackled for a loss. And that's nothing against previous guys. Obviously, Saquon Barkley was quite good, but it's just a different <laughs> type of runner, if you know what I mean. Oh, is... yeah. And I think the part of that too, Matt, and I think this maybe got overlooked, you know, when you lose your starting running back, but Journey Brown was also going to be the top kick returner. So, right. you know, you're getting, you know, this loss hurts you in many different areas, but now that's Devin Ford. Uh, the one thing I'm curious about and I don't expect Penn state to get any answers from, from this. We'll have to see it as it unfolds on Saturday. Um, do we see Devin Ford from the get go uh, in terms of, you know, there was off season issue, marijuana found in his apartment, uh, two tabs of LSD. I, I don't know. I mean, we've seen, it's going to be handled internally. James Franklin said, so does that mean a half game suspension? Is it a series? Is it nothing because this off season's dragged on forever? I don't know, but I do think, if the rotation maybe looks a little strange from the get-go and you see the freshman early, that would probably be why. But no doubt Devin Ford's a big-time talent. Uh, he's going to impact the game. We've seen it last year. I mean, Matt, remember 
back to the season opener last year. <laughs> no, I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> back when we were living in a normal time. But Devin Ford was the talk back in, you know, late August, September about how electric he was. So I'm really excited to see him. Um, that's assuming we see him on Saturday or, you know, I'm, I'm thinking we will, but who knows? So, um, yeah, the running backs would not have been my pick, but now without Journey Brown, they're going to be under the microscope, but I do think they're really well-positioned and well-stocked to handle it. But I'd still say the most intriguing group to watch just because we have been talking about it for seemingly 20 years since the Cotton Bowl <laughs> is what is going to happen at wide receiver? What is going to happen in the receiving core? You know, you look at the depth chart. Quarterback, we, we know there's no surprise. Sean Clifford's a starter. Offensive line, no surprise. Same five starters we expected are on the top line. There's a little bit of shuffling, I think, maybe in – the depth chart, but overall, Walker, Miranda, Mennett, Thorpe, Will Fries, the guys we knew would be starters, are the yeah. starters. So it's wide receiver, and we knew Jahan Donso would be a starter. I think we thought that uh, maybe the veterans, uh, relatively speaking, the guys who are at least been on the <laughs> roster for a few years, Daniel George and Cam Sullivan Brown, would probably be the top guys, but it's only half true. Cam Sullivan Brown is listed as a starter, which I would call a mild surprise over Daniel George. But most the thing that most people want to talk about is the kind of the mystery man, Parker Washington, true freshman from Texas, five foot ten, two hundred five pounds, listed as a starting wide receiver on the depth chart. Uh, quite a statement for a true freshman on the preseason depth chart. Yeah, and so Penn State's depth chart came out Tuesday. To be specific, meant Tuesday at twelve twenty nine p.m. There you go. Um, James Franklin talks Tuesdays at twelve thirty, so it was emailed out in the game notes right as he was starting, and it was a little frantic because you're trying to find the depth chart. It's not up on Penn State's official website yet. Uh, it's still the spring depth chart. It's not out on Twitter. And the questions start coming on Zoom. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to find this depth chart. I find it buried in the game notes. And I'm like, oh, wow. First thing you see, Parker Washington. Uh, Now, not completely a surprise, given the fact that so much of the talk this preseason was about Parker Washington and classmate Keandre Lambert-Smith. Both have been really impressive. Lambert-Smith is listed as Jahan Dotson's backup. So both of those guys have done a really nice job. However, um, I asked James Franklin, like, what did Parker Washington do to get that starting job after, you know, so many limited opportunities? And the thing that Franklin said, and he pointed this out twice in my answer, is that Parker Washington has elite ball skills. So he said, this is a guy who's built like a running back. The quarterbacks trust him. And then he went on to say that Washington made some really impressive one-handed catches during the preseason um, of course, Matt, I, my mind goes to hmm, who is throwing the ball if they're one-handed catches and they're maybe so negative, Audrey. So negative. You know, it just it, it crossed my mind. Uh, but for he said Sean Clifford loves him, so I'm really excited to see Parker Washington. And this was a guy that you know, as you mentioned, Matt, 5'10, 205 pounds, listed ahead of walk-ons, Isaac Lutz and Justin Weller. So the group was wide open and kudos to him for stepping up. Now we have to see what he does in a game. He's also listed as Jahan Dotson's backup at punt returner. So no doubt he's that electric guy. Um, I think when he signed, everybody kept saying kind of like, Oh, he's kind of like KJ Hamler, except the stature is not the same at all. Like height is, but weight is totally different. Yeah. So I think, you know, he's somebody that, you look at contested catches and you look at, okay, who's somebody who can really light up a defense and this guy's going to be that, that option. So 
interesting to see him get that starting nod, but I do wonder too, like, and we didn't have a chance to ask James Franklin about this, but what's the separator right now between Cam Sullivan Brown and Daniel George and TJ Jones is the third string guy there. So what's that group look like? Because to me, it might be nothing. It could be yeah. Cam Sullivan Brown plays the first drive and, and Stan George, George plays the second drive. We've, we've saw that with Daniel George and Justin Shorter a lot. Like, yeah, but, but it, there might be a separation. We don't know. It's like, we've been waiting, talking about this so long. It's like, okay, finally, we're actually going to see like, okay, what's that separation look like? Where, where on the field is Parker Washington going to play most? Is he going to move around at all? Like there's no, de- there's no actual designations on the depth chart of which right. receiver position is, which uh, you can make some guesses, but it doesn't actually specify. And we know that they, you know, learn multiple positions. So it's going to be very interesting to see where guys line up and, you know, how much of a rotation there is, how deep they go into the depth chart. And I mean, like you're saying, Matt, how much do we see of Jahan Dotson maybe in the slot? You know, that's where in the spring depth chart, that's where he was projected. So yeah, you've got guys who can play different spots, but hey, the fact that you've got, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith backing up Jahan Dotson, very excited to see what he can do. 6'1", 185 pounds, former four-star prospect. And then, oh, by the way, you got the freshman starter um, and young Jaden Dotton is backing up Lambert-Smith. So this, these spots, as we've said all offseason, as I've written all offseason, you're not going to figure out this receiving core after week one, after week two, even after week three. Like this is going to be a work in progress because you got to find long term solutions for this group. Uh, so now at least we know who the top candidates are. And so we have, you know, a, a very much new look wide receiving core. You know, KJ Hamler had more than twice as many targets as any other wide receiver last year. And beyond John, John Dotson, it was, you know, hardly anybody was a consistent contributor. And, you know, now, you know, Justin Shorter is gone. Uh, Hip and Hammer is gone. Uh, for now, John Dunmore is not with the team this year. So it's very much, you know, more than half of the scholarship players in the receiving core are newcomers with three, four freshmen and a Juco transfer. So it's, you know, very much a, a youth movement of sorts. And it's about getting on the same page with Sean Clifford and in a new offense under Kirk Sharaka. Um, you know, if you look at the numbers last year, I'm very curious to see obviously Sean Clifford's growth just because of what Sharaka mm-hmm. did with Tanner Morgan at Minnesota last year. And if you know you dig in some some of the numbers, Clifford had a, a fine first year as a starter. They were a top 10 team that won a New Year's six game. Like you don't want to go overly critical about what Clifford did last year because he had a nice year, but there's clear room for growth and it's it's with consistency and it's with throwing the ball down the field. Um, you know, you look at the numbers uh from Sports Info Solutions, Sean Clifford last year. On passes thrown 15 or more yards downfield, he ranked last in the among 15 players who had at least 30 of those attempts. He ranked last in the Big Ten in what uh, Sports Info Solutions calls on-target percentage. So basically, the percentage of throws that mm-hmm. you know were on target to the receiver at 40.5 percent, um, which placed him, uh, I think, third to last, 12th in complete or in completion percentage. So. You know, his completion percentage when throwing downfield 15 plus yards was 37.3%. Uh, at Minnesota, Tanner Morgan's was 54.5%. So that is a pretty huge uh, gap. And we'll see how much Chiraka can kind of close that gap. I think it's just certainly one of the big things we're we'll watching this weekend for Clifford, new receiving core against what's a pretty good Indiana defense uh, with Ohio State only a week away. You know, Matt, in the 
so much of the mystery, I guess you could say, of what is this offense going to look like with Sharaka? It's really been built up because of the fact that there was no spring ball. Um, media, for example, because of all the COVID-19 protocols, understandably so, like we are not seeing practice this year. So really the first time everyone is going to see it is going to be Saturday at 3.30. So I was talking with uh, former Delaware quarterback Andy Hall, who played for Kirk Sharaka, and I'll have a story up. Uh, hopefully Thursday, definitely Thursday, uh, on The Athletic about what you can expect from a Kirk Sharaka quarterback and what kind of are the tenants, what are the things that he really hammers home with these quarterbacks. And it was so interesting to hear it from him. I won't give away the whole story, but a little tease. Um, Sharaka is a fiery guy. And some of the stories are really funny just about what he's like out on the practice field, what he's like when he's breaking down film. Uh, in the meeting rooms, these kinds of things, but he will get on you to take, if you're not taking the check down, like this is something that his quarterbacks have said, like if he throws the ball down the field and it's a big completion, wow, everybody's going to be excited. Like Sharaka will be ticked on the headset and be like, well, yeah, congratulations. You made that throw, but here was this guy wide open underneath. Like the completion percentage is going to be such a huge part of Sean Clifford's improvement. And you know, we all talk about the accuracy and the chunk plays and all of that, but some of these gimme throws could really boost the numbers. And that's what Sharaka also is going to presumably be harping on because that's also what he's really touched on with so many of his other quarterbacks at other spots. So I'm very curious to, to see the Sean Clifford development. Uh, and while we're talking about Clifford, I'll also tease a story that went up on The Athletic on Monday. I had a one-on-one Zoom with Sean Clifford earlier this month. And I asked him, I said, Hey, Sean, can you just take me through the guys in your huddle, the personalities that make up this offense? And I really don't even want to talk much about football. I just want to get to know who these people are because there's so few opportunities, especially this year with so many new faces and everything being on zoom. So really fun story. Um, Spoiler, he feeds his offensive linemen by taking them to the tavern for the unlimited side. So doing everything, Matt, that you'd expect out of a quarter, out of a team captain, a team captain, a quarterback, everything you'd expect them to do, Sean Clifford's doing. So now we just have to see uh, what those numbers translate to on the field. So the weird thing about this roster is that I feel like most of the unknowns that we talk about are on offense, where there are eight returning starters. Um, and the defense, well, I should say it's like seven and a half returning starters on offense. Uh, Steven Gonzalez is gone, but Miranda and and, uh, Thorpe Thorpe, basically split time and started last year. So seven or eight starters back defense. I count, I think technically four starters are back now. And I feel like we have many fewer questions about the defense and understandably so based on how they've recruited, how they typically play, even though there were some questions, you know, about past defense last year, but still, there's a lot of talent on the defense, not all of it proven, but I think everybody is justified in being like excited about the potential, even without the best defensive player in the country, Michael Parsons, who is now training for the NFL draft. Absolutely. And yeah, like, like you're saying that you look at the numbers and it's like, okay, PJ Mustafer wasn't a starter by right. name last year, but you always saw him on the second series, played a ton of football. Um, I do think it was interesting that as long as this offseason was, 
we never really had the, oh my gosh, they lost Ito Gross Matos early to the NFL. Who's going to fill that void? And we didn't get into all of the, oh, the defensive line always says that they reload, not rebuild. Well, because we didn't need to, because Jason Owe is the guy who's going to, you know, take Gross Matos's old spot. And oh, by the way, who's, you know, the other guy who's backing up starter Shaka Tony, Adisa Isaac, a lot of teammates still say they think this guy's a first round, future first round pick as well. So you've got so much talent there. And like we said with the running backs where it's like, okay, if you're, if you have to withstand a massive blow to your team, you've got the talent to do it at, at linebacker as well. Uh, so of course, Ellis Brooks is the guy in the middle. He'll be flanked by Jesse Lucetta and Brandon Smith. Yeah, this isn't the linebacking core that you thought it was going to be when, you know, everybody was so excited when Penn State gives Brandon Smith a, the staff gives him a standing ovation when he walks in on his recruiting visit there. Everyone's looking toward this year, seeing him with Micah Parsons. You're not going to get that, but you're still going to get a really, really good linebacking core. And Jesse Lucetta was saying on Zoom this week uh, during his interviews that, yeah, they're excited to kind of show people that, hey, Micah's not here, but we still got talent, and they absolutely do. I mean, I think this defense, as good as it was last year, we got to see what it looks like against the pass, particularly with some of those shot plays, because they were tremendous against the run, so I get it. The numbers were going to be skewed because teams were going to try to pass the ball more, uh, but they've got to lock that down. And that's where There's I still think – There's so many Matt- breakdowns. That's the thing. It yeah. Like there, there are those weird third-down breakdowns that were just – you know, I feel like they gave up a lot of third and longs last year, and it's just you got to tighten it up. You know, the run defense was ridiculous last year. They led the nation in yards per carry allowed at 2.55. Um, you know, they were pretty much a shutdown unit almost the whole year. Obviously, Ohio State had success. Otherwise, Buffalo had success, but otherwise, they even held Memphis to 33 carries for 63 yards. Memphis had a really good running game last year. Uh, so it's just can – they replace number one. Can they, they are still missing a lot of, you know, we talk about that run defense. They're missing a lot of, uh, a lot of tackles for loss there between gross Matos and Micah Parsons 29 between them. But we're still very optimistic about who's going to emerge as pass rushers, as disruptive players. Obviously the defense isn't going to be as good without Micah Parsons, but it's, can they get that pass rush, which I think they can. And, and then can it secondary, which is a new look in some respects, can they tighten up and avoid those breakdowns? And I think, Matt, the, the biggest surprise to me on this depth chart um, came at cornerback yes. where you've got the four guys who came in together in Daquan Hardy, Keaton Ellis, Joey Porter Jr., um, and Marquise Wilson. And the spot opposite Castro Fields has been open since the spring. You know, everybody was trying to figure out, okay, who's going to fill that spot? I thought Keaton Ellis would, you know, be that guy. Uh, he still might be down the road, but Joey Porter Jr. is the starter there. So the guy who redshirted last year, who you saw a little bit, really supplants, you know, Keaton Ellis for this job. So Ellis or Hardy are listed as Porter's backup. So obviously that means Hardy had a really nice preseason as well. But there were some hints and some clues throughout the preseason that they thought Joey Porter was, was ready that he was going to be playing a significant amount of football this year, as Terry Smith put it on James Franklin's radio show a few weeks ago. Now they didn't say he was going to be a starter, but, but he was going to play a significant amount. So they feel like they have five cornerbacks that they can win with, which is quite the luxury to have. Um, but 
6293 pounds for Porter Jr. Back at virtual media days, I spent a good amount of time talking to him. And he said that during quarantine, he went home and really helped himself better understand the playbook by, of course, sitting down with his dad and going through it and trying to better understand it. So, you know, this is somebody, Matt, that when they recruited him, it was okay. We're going to put him at corner, but he might outgrow the position. Maybe he's a safety, maybe he's an outside linebacker, but he's definitely a corner now. And he said that he feels like that's his best position. That's where he's going to stay. So you have got a very big corner out there to go with Castro Fields. And Terry Smith had said on the radio show that, uh, Porter Jr.'s speed was something that for a guy his size, they were really, really impressed once they were able to see him run. So we're going to hear from Terry Smith later this week uh, on Thursday. So we'll see kind of what went into that decision a little bit more. But yeah, for me, that was the surprise on the depth chart because Penn State is super, super high on their safeties with Brisker and Wade back there. Um, I think Brisker is could be one of the top like sleeper picks on this team. If such a thing exists for a guy who's played a lot of football, uh, he's a ball hawk. Everybody's saying he's a ball hawk. So they need that. Uh, so I'm very excited to see the secondary too, Matt, but Joey Porter Jr. had himself an off season. So the other interesting aspect of this that we don't really know yet, because, you know, in the spring when they released kind of a, I don't want to call it a fake depth chart, but it kind of was. They just kind yeah. of released a depth chart in the spring without spring practice, which was very nice for us as, as reporters. Yeah, it, was a, about this. it was going to be like the day of the spring game. And I was like, oh, okay, it's Saturday off spring game. Then there was a depth chart. So I'm fine. Nice I will stuff. never complain about having a depth chart, Matt. I'll take but anyway, it. On that depth chart, they did actually list the star position because Penn State plays like every other team in college football now with the way college mm-hmm. football is gone. They play a lot of nickel. They're going to play five defensive backs a lot. But on this depth chart, the star position is not listed. So there is a little bit of a mystery there. Um, back in the spring, Lamont Wade was listed as the starter at star, which would mean they bring in another safety. Uh, Donovan Johnson, who's hurt, was listed as number two there. Then Daquan Hardy and Keaton Ella. So I am curious, you know, okay, if they play nickel, does Lamont Wade move into that star position? Does, I think so. Does Keaton Ellis move into that position? We don't... We'll yeah, see, I guess. they have a lot of options there. And something that came out of virtual media days was, you know, they said that Castro Fields was also getting some run there as well in the star position. Uh, and the point they have that, a lot of flexibility. We know oh, that they do. Yeah. The, the, the young potential at corner. There's so much talent there. And their their argument is, OK, when we're filling that star position, it, one is we got to get the best star on the field. So by doing that, then are you hurting your safety group? If it comes from there, if it's Lamont Wade, are you hurting your corner group? If it's maybe a Keaton Ellis or a Castro Fields? So you've got guys to figure out, but I still say it's Lamont Wade. Um, And then I think, you know, you have Jonathan Sutherland there as Brisker's backup. So Sutherland's played a gazillion reps here, it seems. Also awarded number zero as a special teams ace. So I think you could probably make that argument, but yeah, it, that is a really good point, Matt. I had not noticed that on this depth chart, uh, which I should have because I have the spring one sitting right here on my That's desk here alongside it. Yeah, <laughs> to keep me on track, a full-time exactly. gig. Yep. <laughs> All right, well, that that is the depth chart. We'll see how much of it holds up. But you, you, Penn State, it seems like, is being remarkably honest with this depth chart, given that a true freshman <laughs> it is a starting wide receiver. We don't always see that. Um, you often see some big shakeups from week one to week two. 
but this week this year maybe we won't see that just because you know there's some some surprises on there that we would not have guessed especially with a freshman being listed first team which rarely happens in a in a preseason so we're still a week away from talking about ohio state because there is a game that everybody is talking about as a trap game and i don't know if an opener can be a trap game and you know, I think so many people have talked about it so much being a trap game that maybe it's not anymore, but Indiana is pretty darn, pretty, pretty darn good, uh, which is not something we've said for most of Penn State's time in the Big Ten. Indiana has only beaten Penn State once, but Indiana has also given Penn State some good games, including last year, which I'll be honest, I don't remember much of because it seems like it was 30 years ago, but yeah. Indiana did give Penn State a game last year. Uh, Michael Penix, th- this is the... Uh... This is the guy who's getting a lot of talk right now, Indiana's quarterback, and uh, talking on the the big football show with Bill Landis. Bill is completely bought in to Indiana. Bill is picking Indiana to win, and he made that pick before we even knew that Journey Brown was not going to play. So very bold. Bill is projecting that Penn State is going to be 0-2 to start the season, which I'm I'm not going to go as far as to say that. But Indiana has got like that, the sneaky good potential, right? Like you're coming off of a historic season for them. Matt, every atmosphere this year is going to be weird. It's not going to be terribly strange to see Indiana with, you know, basically just players' parents in the stands. We've seen that place very splotchy over the years. So that won't be like the strangest thing. But this is a team that might catch some people. I think you look in their receiving core, they've got a lot of big play, big threat potential back there. And as we mentioned, Penn State eliminating some of those shot plays. So if Penix can stay healthy, which has been Indiana's biggest concern, uh, you got to wonder what they maybe can do to Penn State. If they catch them on the ropes, this is, you know, week one, Penn State needs to get their timing down in this offense. Have they had enough time to really feel comfortable with everything that they want to do? Who knows? I do think that it's going to be a really compelling game, um, especially kind of when you look at some of the other Big Ten games that are lined up for this weekend. Uh, Penn State, Indiana, in my mind, is uh, is the most intriguing. Yes, because Ohio State is going to beat Nebraska by 60. We all know that. Like, yeah, after 10 minutes, one. you won't need to watch that game. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Indiana, you look at, they won eight games last year for the first time since 1993. They were ranked for the first time in ages. Uh, they bring back 17 starters, you know, Penix. We've seen a lot of Peyton Ramsey, but Penix was a guy who like beat Ramsey out and then got hurt. Uh, they have 12 of their top 14 tacklers back on defense. You know, Stevie Scott at running back 10 touchdowns last year, experienced guy. They have three receivers coming back who had 600 plus yards. This is a good Indiana team. Again, it's it's not your typical Indiana team. Uh, Tom Allen's done a great job there. You know, they have a new offense coordinator uh, losing uh, Kalen DeBoer to, to Fresno State as the head coach. But still, this is a, a team that suddenly kind of has an identity. They play hard. They play tough. They, they're, they're a tough out. It's just this is a team that also has not beaten a top 10 team since 1987. And they have not beaten a top 10 team at home since 1967. So for as much as tough of an out as they've been, it's still just been a team that's struggled to close the deal against the, the elite teams of the league. You know, they, they struggle to beat Ohio state, struggle to beat Penn state, struggle to beat Michigan. Um, they're a team that seems like they constantly threaten the upsets, but can't quite pull it off. So it'll be very, very, very interesting to see. Uh, they've only beaten two ranked teams actually since 2006. So a team that has, 
you know, to win eight games last year, they're beating teams that are, they're beating the other teams that are, you know, in the bottom half of the big 10, which is growth for Indiana, like based on historically where that program has been, they have an opportunity here. Week one experience roster to come out and make a statement against a team that's in the top 10. So it's going to be a very, very, very interesting game. Um, something to talk about for sure before the Ohio state game. Like this isn't our typical opener against Kent state or Idaho. Uh, no disrespect <laughs> to Kent state, which is pretty good now. Um, but, but, but so, so what do we think is, is this a trap game? Is this a game that Penn state could lose? Are they going to lose? What do we think? I'm picking Penn state 30, Indiana 20. Um, I, I still think with all the transition for Penn state, all the unknowns, all the unproven commodities in that receiving core. You still got Sean Clifford. You still have Pat Fryermuth. Noah Kane's still really good. And you still have a really good defense. Um, I, I think Penn State is going to maybe struggle a little bit to find their footing, to get the timing down early on. But ultimately, I just think they have too many playmakers for this game to get away from them. And, you know, we always – I've been asked on a couple interviews this week, oh, do you think Penn State's looking ahead to Ohio State – I honestly don't like, I think it's human nature to kind of think like, Oh, Hey, yeah, that, that game two weeks. Right. But that whole one and oh mantra, as much as everyone kind of, you know, either loves it or hates it, there's no in between with that mantra. uh, It's really stuck. And when something is taken away from you and so many players have said this, like the season was from Penn state and the big 10 in August, and now it's back you really appreciate it even more. So I don't think you're going to find a Penn state team that's sleeping. I mean, this is a group that understands the game of the season for them is in two weeks and they're not going to overlook Indiana. So I think Penn state gets it done, Matt. I think we're going to see an improved Sean Clifford, but there's still going to be, I mean, I, I don't see how you make the leap from week one to Ohio state week two and get all this growth, but, I still think they take care of business in Bloomington at 3.30. I'll go pretty similar. I have Penn State 31-24. I think it'll be a close game, but I don't think – I don't know if – you know, I think Penn State will keep its distance and kind of control the game. I think Indiana will just hang around, hang around. It'll be one of those – another kind of pesky Indiana teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have Penn State winning 31-24. So Penn State is, by the way, favored by six and a half. So I have a very, very slight cover. You have a more, a little bit more substantial cover for Penn State, over under 58 and a half for this one. So uh, Vegas expecting a pretty close one, which you know I think makes sense based on you know this is an Indiana team that um, I think isn't a top 25 team now, but they're a team that is not. They're in the ballpark, which is very, Mm -hmm. very rare for Indiana and kind of have, I think, their highest expectations in a long, long time. Uh, All right. Give me a player of the game, Audrey. Oh, boy. Um, You know what? I don't you know, I'm going to mix it up, Matt, because I said I think Sean Clifford's going to have a really good game, but that's too obvious. Um, The guy who we really haven't talked a lot about this offseason, I think we're going to see a shock of Tony Stripsack. That's I'm, right. I'm totally flipping it around he has here. become kind of the forgotten underrated veteran defensive end who you yeah. know, was very good last year. Yeah. Everybody is, you know, talking about away and rightfully so the testing numbers are crazy. Um, but we've seen Shaka Tony like in spurts, put up ridiculous numbers. Um, and I'm actually trying to remember, was it at Indiana a couple years ago where he had like that crazy game? I believe so. I, I, I just, yeah, that just came to me. So that's, even more reason for my Shaka Tony surprise pick. 
there you go. He has uh, four sacks in 2018 in that Indiana game that ended up being pretty crazy as well. Um, so let's see if he can there repeat that. That would be that would be player of the game type numbers. Uh, I'm going to go with Noah Kane. I think this is a you know it's a tricky road game against pretty good defense, and I you know this is it could be the type of situation again where we saw Penn State sometimes struggle to to ice a game. You know the offensive line would wear down. They they struggle to to be physical enough to put the game away on the ground, and I think that has changed. I think this again we talk about it all the time, but. I think this actually could be the year for the offensive line to become more of a strength. I think they made mm-hmm. a great hire in Phil Troutwine. Uh, it's a, a more experienced group. They have more depth than they've had. I think it should be, you know, I don't think it's going to be a top five offensive line in the country, but I think they should be pretty good. And they have a running back who can play that role of closer as well. So I think I, I see with a somewhat tight game, I think Noah Kane's the guy who shuts the door and, and comes out with a hundred yard game maybe scores a touchdown or two. So I'm going to go with Noah Kane as the player of the game. So you've got the Kane train officially leaving the station. We're back, we're back on it. We're back on that. <laughs> back, back on that. Yeah. Um, it's, I will actually, I'll be driving out to Bloomington. I am leaving state college Thursday morning and a quick uh, update. I'll be stopping at gateway high school on my way out, which I'm sure to the surprise of no one, I'm stopping there because that is the home of Penn State's top recruiting target, Mr. Derek Davis Jr. So I have something set up with him on Thursday. So I look forward to uh, telling you a little bit more about his recruitment. He's got a decision coming up November 7th. So uh, we have to see what what comes of that. But you know what, Matt? I got my media protocols from Indiana. Um, They are prepared. Uh, It's going to be plexiglass between seats in the press box, 25% capacity, uh, no food being served, bring your own lunch, two people in an elevator at a time. You know, it's NFL scouts are on a different level than the press, which usually we're like sitting alongside each other. So everything is, you know, being thought out of in the Big Ten. So it's going to be a unique experience for all of us. Um, I'll have plenty of updates, both uh, on The Athletic with my stories, but also we've got the real-time feature on The Athletic app. Update your app if you haven't done so yet. It's really cool. Um, I can provide you with insights from right in the press box. You'll be able to get those. I've got 400 characters to play with, so that's always uh, always fun. But I look forward to, uh, to bringing you the coverage and then making my way back to State College on Sunday and getting ready for that game next week. Well... Yeah, we know Ohio State is coming up, so that leads us to our final question here, which is, what is your projected record for Penn State? We have a – we're on the third version of the schedule. Uh, it's Jeez, weird to look yeah. back and think about <laughs> the Virginia Tech game that was supposed to happen over a month ago now, and they were supposed to have already played Northwestern and Michigan and Iowa. Uh, actually, Ohio State was originally supposed to be this Saturday, October 24th. Wow. So right. uh, <laughs> things have changed. There was another schedule that I completely forget in August. And now we're on yeah. to the eight game regular season plus the ninth game that we don't know yet on Big Ten quote unquote champions week where it'll be the Big Ten championship game, but also number two versus number two, number three versus number three and on down the line until we get to Rutgers versus Illinois or Purdue or however we're going to we'll, be whatever we're gonna look week. forward to there. So yeah. Penn State, give me a record. What do you got? I'm going seven and two. Um, I I don't think they're going to get past Ohio State. And that second loss to me, Matt, I'm not sure exactly where. I, I think it there's potential that it could be Michigan late in the year if Michigan actually finally maybe maybe has a quarterback now. Um, 
or that Big Ten Champions Week, there's certainly uh, an opportunity for it to happen there. But this is such a difficult year to try and predict because if you test positive, you're out for 21 days. I mean, this can really, you know, just change everything, turn the season on its head. So I'm just happy that we have a Big Ten season to talk about, that hopefully we're going to be able to see all nine games happen. Uh, so I'm going seven and two. What do you got? It's the safe pick, but I think it's probably the right pick. Uh, you know, I think this team, despite, you know, the absences of Journey Brown and the loss of Micah Parsons, uh, I still think there is, honestly, there's playoff potential. They beat Ohio State. They're a favorite to go to the playoff. And I think, you know, Ohio State is ahead of Penn State, but nobody has played the Buckeyes closer or better than the Nittany Lions mm-hmm. in the past few years. So you can't rule it out even without the the whiteout crowd in full effect. It'll be a very strange atmosphere at Beaver Stadium next week, that's for sure. But I, I do have Ohio State winning that game. Ohio State was my preseason number one on my AP ballot, and I have Ohio State third right now, but I think they very well could come up to number one in a couple weeks. Um, so I have Penn State losing there, and then you know there's the three-game stretch midseason. They play at Nebraska, at home against Iowa, at Michigan. One of those certainly could be losable right now. I wouldn't say Nebraska, but, you know, Maybe Nebraska finally nope, gets better. love for Scott Frost, man. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's either one of those games or even – I think they could play Iowa twice when you look at November 21st. Yeah. But and then again, if, if both teams finish second. Although they're, I think they're going to try to – they might try to avoid rematches, so I might be off there. But either way, if whether it's Iowa or Wisconsin or Minnesota, you know, certainly could be a losable game in that Big Ten Champions Week. So 7-2 and two is what I'll go with. And – uh it's hard to say what I think bowl they would go to because the bowl system oh, is going to be so weird yeah. this year with seven and two teams being, you know, yeah. but I think Penn state is a solid back half of the top 10 type team this year. And I think that could translate into probably seven and two with a shot at eight and one. I like it, Matt. That sounds like we're both on the same page, which uh, listeners of dear old state will be thrilled to know that you and I are thinking alike. Great minds. <laughs> just you know a lot of conflict here to uh really embracing debate (laughs) yeah no but that's um it's just like like we were saying i mean this is such a bizarre season um i am just really hopeful that we make it through it that we're able to um to see you know and really truthfully find out what the pecking order looks like in the big 10 east especially because everybody's chasing ohio state but i hope we can safely get to the finish line and say, okay, you know, Penn state, you're, you're the second best team in the East, or maybe it's Michigan. You know, I just hope that we, we get there. So we'll see. Agreed. (laughs) All right. That'll do it for the first 2020 season edition of dear old state. We are thrilled to be back. You can look for us every Monday now going forward to recap the games. Look, look ahead to the the week ahead. Uh, But please be sure to rate review and subscribe. Uh, Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And also, please uh, read Audrey's great coverage at The Athletic. She will be driving to Bloomington and uh, taking in the first game scene of the year. It'll be a weird one, but it will be should be a good one. So, Audrey, good luck with your trip. Stay safe. And I hope all of our listeners stay safe as well. Thanks for listening to Dear Old State.